Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. So the other day, I was having, uh, just hanging out with a couple of friends, and we were talking about how weird Christian subculture is. Um, and it's just something that's a favorite pastime of mine. I recently got on, on TikTok for like five minutes. And uh, after curating it for a while, because, you know, stuff shows up, you're like, ah, I shouldn't be looking at that. And so eventually all it became was like Christian TikTok. That's, and there's a hashtag for it, literally a hashtag called Christian TikTok. And listen, Christian TikTok is wild. Like, it's just, it, it, like they'll, they'll make you like, stop. Don't keep scrolling. God has a word for you. And I'm like, all right, bro, you don't even know who I am. Like, I don't, like, not, I'm not questioning whether or not this person's motives are great, but it's like Christian TikTok's weird, okay? And, and, and you know, and, and Christian TikTok goes beyond that. Like, Christian subculture as a whole, even part of our generation, whether you're Gen Z or millennials, it's weird. It gets weird. Like, when I see on Facebook and, and someone put, like, puts a picture of, like, Trump holding a, a white Jesus, I'm just like, this feels weird. Like, there's, I don't, Why? Like what, I, I just, mm, there's something about it that feels off. But this is not a recent phenomenon, y'all. Like, like I, you know, I grew up, I'm a 90s kid, but, but let me tell you, if there's anything weirder than Christian TikTok, it is 2000s Christian culture. All right, and if, and if this is a little bit before you, I'll, I'll fill you in. What Christian culture in the 2000s looked like was everyone wearing WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. Re- <laughs> reading I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and doing Trust Falls in Youth Ministry. That's how old we are. We didn't call it student ministry. We called it youth ministry, okay? I will say, though, there were some memorable songs that I, I enjoy from that time, like, like Heart of Worship, or I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, or Open the Eyes of My Heart, The Days of Elijah, Shout to the Lord, I Got You, Hannah, Don't Worry. Yeah. Four Hill song was cool, you know, like that was, but the epitome of Christian subculture was found in this one thing. It was in the Left Behind series. Yes. No one is like shouting for that, okay? Like, and if you don't know what Left Behind is, Left Behind was a, was a series produced by Kirk Cameron, and it's based on a book series that gave a fictional account of how they thought the end days found in Revelation would look like. And if you don't know what that series is, you're not missing out. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's just an example I'm using for this message. But this movie series, till this day, leaves me traumatized. Yeah, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. If you know what I'm talking about. Because the premise of the the Left Behind series is that uh, it follows a group of people who've been left behind in the rapture, which is when Christians go uh, to heaven. Depends on your theological standpoint, right? So essentially, good Christians went to heaven, and the rest of the people, which I guess is bad Christians, if that's what you can call them, were left behind. And do you know what that did to me as a kid? If my parents were not home when I woke up Saturday morning... I thought my parents were in the rapture and I got left behind. And so there, this is the time before cell phones. So I would go into my parents' room and they weren't there. And I'd go downstairs and they weren't there. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't call them. What do I do? So I turn on the TV because I figured if millions of people were to disappear like the Left Behind series, it surely would make the news. 
And so I turned it on and just to find out nothing had changed. My parents had just gone out for groceries. But this was like a weekly occurrence. And I tell you that even now, there are days if I wake up and I expect Rachel to be in the house and I say, Rachel, and I get no response. I think, really? <laughs> not that Rachel's not holy, but I'm like, really, Lord? I'm left behind. And what, what this series did was it taught an entire generation of Christians. And to this day, this is a, a common belief that heaven is the end goal of your salvation. That, that the reason that you accepted Jesus, the reason you pursued Jesus is for one reason, is that you, would just, that you would just get to heaven, that you'd have a lush place. You know, you'd sing that 90s Christian song, my father's house and my father's house. You know, like you're thinking you have like this mansion and, and that there's a room there that you go in and you're just chilling there for eternity. That is what the end goal of Christianity is, it seems. But it's not true. You see, what the Left Behind series focused, what it failed to focus on was on the goodness and the finished work of Jesus. Instead, it caused you to be fully concerned about whether or not we had lived a good enough and perfect enough life to get into heaven. And so tonight, as we jump back into the book of John, chapter 14, we're going to look, we're going to try to answer the question of what is the destination of your salvation? It didn't just sound nice, it's a purpose. <laughs> what is the destination of your salvation? In other words, what is the end goal of us becoming disciples of Jesus? And if you're sitting here tonight and your answer is that, we're, that you're, just, you're saved so that you can go to heaven, you're going you're gonna to run into some problems. Here's why. If the focal point of your Christian walk with Jesus is getting simply to heaven, then that is all you'll ever want. And it's all you'll ever ache for. Every day you'll get up and work towards getting into heaven. And that leads to a two-issue two problem. First, getting into heaven becomes the obsession and point of your life. So much so that anytime you do something that you feel jeopardizes your access to eternal life, you'll be filled with fear instead of filled with comfort knowing that you can come to God. And secondly, if all you're doing is looking forward to the life that God has granted you in heaven after we pass away from this earth, what do you think your relationship with this day-to-day life will be like? It'll be miserable because if heaven is the greatest good that we can get as Christians, we'll just hate our time in this world. And this is how some Christians live their lives, honestly. They long for a beauty and joy of heaven and just kind of tolerate being here. Like, have you ever wondered why sometimes it seems that Christians are the most angry and uninviting people you'll meet? Half the reason is because they're focused on living, living for something that happens after death instead of enjoying what God has for them today. But the purpose of our life goes beyond just getting into heaven. Trust me, God has way more in store for you and for me than that. What is the end goal of us becoming disciples of Jesus? Let's turn back to John 14. So just to give you a little bit of context, John 14 is part of a section of the Gospel of John that is called the Farewell Discourse. It spans from John chapter 13 to chapter 17. And this section provides us the conversation that Jesus has with his 12 disciples the night before he goes to be crucified. So Jesus knew what was about to happen to him. It was no surprise to Jesus that the cross would come. He knew that he was about to be killed. 
And so he's here in this conversation. He's telling his disciples that this would happen, but they don't, they don't seem to understand this reality. He tells Peter, I, I'm going to go. And Peter says, never, you'll never go. I'll never let you go. And so Jesus understood, though, that, that, that his death on the cross needed to happen because humanity's salvation from sin hinged on his death and resurrection. But the disciples of Jesus have yet to understand this. All that they can see in front of them is that their Savior would be taken from them and they would feel utterly alone. And so the purpose of, chap of chapters 13 to 17 is Jesus' attempt to prepare his disciples for life after his departure. It's meant to prepare them for what they're about to witness and to provide comfort for them. He knows that his disciples are going to be distraught and heartbroken because Jesus has to go to the cross. And so he begins this way. This is what Jesus says right on the, off the bat. First verse, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, Jesus sees the turmoil in the hearts of his disciples and Jesus is patient with them. He speaks to them in kindness. It's not like, are you dummy? Stop being fearful. It's like, hold on. Listen to me. It's going to be okay. You do not have to be filled with fear. He doesn't just say it emptily. He doesn't just say, hey, don't be fearful, fear, it'll be okay, and then moves on. No. He goes on to explain why it is that disciples of Jesus are not meant to have fear in their hearts. Jesus says in the following verses, he, goes to, he says that he's going to go to the Father's house. And in his Father's house, there are many rooms. This is the reason he provides to his disciples about why they shouldn't have any fear. So where is the Father's house? It's not a trick question. It's in heaven. Great, awesome. It's in heaven. And so what Jesus is referring to here is the heavenly inheritance that disciples of Jesus are promised. Now let me make this very clear to everyone here in this room. Those who place their faith in the work of Jesus Christ for their salvation will go to heaven. But that is still not the end goal of your salvation. And at first glance, you read this and you're saying, are you sure, Caesar? Because it says that he's gone to prepare a room for me, so I should go and do that. And it seems that Jesus is saying to them, the remedy to your fear is heaven. But if the remedy to our fear is heaven, then that means that we have to wait till we die to never be fearful. Do you want to live the rest of your life in fear? Better question, do you think Jesus loves you enough to remove the fear from your life now? So it's not that you just wait to heaven to not be fearful. You see, the, the term that Jesus uses for house and room is to convey an image of a resting place. What it seems that Jesus is saying here is that in light of the disciples' fear in this life, he's gone to prepare a resting place where they will never have to fear. But here's the thing. Why would Jesus go prepare a place that already exists? He says this, in my father's house, what's there? Are many rooms. He doesn't say he's going to go build the house. He doesn't say he's going to build the rooms. Jesus is speaking about the Father's house as though it already exists. So what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to go prepare? He says it in verse 3. Read it with me. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. 
The preparation that Jesus is talking about is that he is going to prepare the way as to which disciples of Jesus will use to enter into the place of rest. So the turmoil of our hearts, you see, is not meant to be the landing place for disciples of Jesus. Jesus does not look at our hearts and says, oh, you have fear, it's okay. Like, it's okay for you to have that. No, he wants to remove that because the ultimate resting place for a heart of a disciple is to find the rest in Jesus. This is why he says to the disciples, I'm gonna come back for you. And when I come back for you, I want you to be with me so that wherever I am, you are. This is the crux of heaven. When you think of heaven, do you think of being with Jesus or do you think of the benefits of heaven? Often this is our picture of heaven. This is what Romans 21, 4, 21 verse 4 says. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Uh, listen, if you hear this and you accept this to be true, our response should be hallelujah, praise God, cannot wait. It's a wonderful picture. And it's a promise that God secures for us. But what I want us to see is beyond that verse or within that verse is this reality that heaven means nothing if Jesus is not there. Heaven means absolutely nothing if the person of Christ is not there to await for you. You see, the vision that Jesus provides for us is that a place of rest would only come into reality if we are with him. There's this question I came upon that really rocked my world. John Piper writes this in his book, God is the Gospel. He says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. I want you to just hear me on this. Put down your pens, just give me your ears for a moment. If you could have heaven with no sickness, and with all the friends you ever had on the earth and all the food you ever liked and with and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there if you could have everything in heaven short of Jesus, would you accept it? If your temptation is to say, and trust me, I'm not saying it's the judgment because this question is still messing me up. But if our response is that heaven in itself is enough, then Jesus wouldn't have gone through all the trouble of coming back for us. He'd just say, hey, I've made a way. Whenever you're ready to come on home, come on home. I'll see you when you see you. But Jesus knows that heaven is not enough for our restless hearts because our hearts can only find rest in him. And that promise is not by heaven, but by Jesus alone. Heaven is only a comfort because Jesus is present. Therefore, heaven is not the destination because heaven cannot satisfy your hearts. The destination of our salvation is being with Jesus. And you need to know that Jesus does want us to be in heaven with him. That's why he tells his disciples that there is a path that they are to take to reach this destination. Jesus tells his disciples, that's what he says, like in verse, in verse four, he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. 
he's talking to Thomas. Well, he's talking to his disciples and Thomas speaks for everyone. He goes, listen, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. You were talking about going to a heavenly place. There's a place with many rooms. Like how in the world are we supposed to get there? You see, what Thomas misunderstood was that Jesus wasn't talking in a literal manner. What Thomas heard Jesus say is, you know the path, like a map path of where I'm going. So take it. But this is Jesus' response in verse six. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The path that Jesus is talking about is not a what or a where. It's a who. And Jesus says, I am the way. So the question then is, now how do we find the way, but, but what is the way of Jesus? When Jesus says that he, ha- he is the way, he's saying that he's the road his disciples are to take in order to arrive at having life with God. So hear me on this. There is only one way for us to have relationship with God. <clears throat> and it's through Jesus. That's why Jesus says at the end of that verse, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now some people, especially generation Gen Z, also millennials, but I'll say Gen Z feels like this is a very arrogant statement. How dare this Middle Eastern man in sandals who lived 2,000 years ago say that only through him can we get to heaven? The exclusivity of Jesus feels like an insult because what it's saying is that any way you take to get to heaven outside of Jesus is wrong. The funny thing is I would agree with them. It is an insult. But the exclusivity of Jesus is not to get you to heaven because heaven is not the end goal. Life with God is. Therefore, if they're hearing that Jesus is the only way not to heaven, but to be with the Father, then they shouldn't have any problem because they don't want to be with the Father anyway. But this is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. See, when Jesus says that he's gone to prepare a place, this is what he actually meant. He means that he has gone to prepare the way that connects humanity to God. And the way that Jesus did that and does that is through the work of the cross. Because while Jesus has the desire to be with humanity, there is something that creates a barrier between humanity and God, and it is our sin. Even as believers, when we engage in sin, we are opting out of seeking intimacy with God. So it's not only just the non-believer who struggles with this, but it is the believer themselves too. And if you hear and you've never heard what sin is, I'll just make it very clear. Sin is rebellion against God in a disregard for his will for your life. And it may not seem like a big deal, but it is because God is a holy God who can never be in the presence of sin. It is contrary to his very nature. But when Jesus says that I am the way, what he's saying is that the storyline doesn't end with us in our sin and God in the heavens. But instead, God comes to remove the gap between him and his children. And this can only happen one of two ways. He either has to compromise his nature and accept sin, which he cannot. So it's not an option. Or two, God has to pay the penalty for your sin. In the narrative of the Bible story is this. God 
went to every length to remove any and all obstacles for us to be with him. That is why Jesus needed to die on the cross. Because it was on the cross that Jesus paid the price for our sin. I know this seems rudimentary if you've been a Christian for a while, but some of us need to remember this. That the wages of our sin was death. That your salvation came at a cost. That the death that Jesus experienced on the cross was the kind of death that was never meant for him, but was meant for you and for me. But here's what I'm hoping that we take away from this tonight. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. Do you feel a difference in that? That hearing the good news of Jesus doesn't excite you just because it gets you to heaven, but it connects you to God. And this is the truth that Jesus seeks to reveal to us When Jesus says that he is the way, he's stating that he's the way to life with God. And when Jesus says he's the truth, he means he reveals the truth of our salvation. And we need Jesus to reveal this truth to us because we'll never fall upon it on ourselves. You don't accidentally fall on the gospel. The gospel finds you. In verse five and verse eight, Thomas and Philip respectively speak out of a place of ignorance. Thomas goes, hey, what's the way? And Philip goes, show us the father. And, Peter, and Jesus goes, listen, you've been with me for three years and you still don't know what I'm talking about? Do you know how many hours there are in a year? I didn't do the math for that. I did the math for three years. There are 26,280 hours in three years. And yet they still did not know who Jesus was. You don't fall on the gospel. The gospel falls and falls after you. We need Jesus not just to prepare the way, but to show us the way. And the truth of our salvation is that you and I cannot find a way or work our way into a relationship with God. Only Jesus could do that. And God wants us to be in relationship with him. But there's something that we cannot miss. And it's something I think we often miss in the, Christian, in the Western church. The reason Jesus made a way between us and God is not so that we would look at the path and go, wow, that's so pretty. So much life. Flowers and rainbows. Is that Peter over there? Hey, man, see you soon. Christ made a way so you could walk it. Like, do you hear me on this? The Christian walk is not something you're invited to and look at. It's something that you go and live out. And this may seem fine and dandy, except here's here's why most Christians end up walking away from this reality. It's because the way of Jesus is hard. The word that Jesus uses for the the word uh, way is this word called hodos. Say that with me, hodos. Sounds like hot dog, but without the dog. And Jesus uses this same Greek word in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I'll read it for you. Jesus says this about the Christian walk. You enter by by the narrow gate because the gate that is wide and the way, chodos, is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way, chodos, is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. The way of Jesus is hard and few find it, Jesus says. And then he, he ups the ante in, in Matthew 16, 24. He says, if anyone would come after me, 
If anybody steps onto this path and is to come after me, this is what you must do. You deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Far too often, we undersell the weight of the Christian walk. And we say, it's just so easy. Just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and it'll be all fine and dandy. And then life gets really hard and you're like, that's not what I signed up for. I'm out. I don't want to bait and switch you. I want you to know the weight of the salvation it takes, the weight it takes to live this out in your life. But notice that I say this, the cross is not a burden, but it is a freedom because it leads into intimacy with Jesus. It doesn't lead you to Jesus. Carrying the cross doesn't guarantee you Jesus. It guarantees you intimacy with him. And as we step into a deeper relationship with Jesus, we're gonna start to see a full and vibrant life beyond our imagination. Jesus invites his disciple into a life that they cannot understand. And I think that many of us yearn to see in our lives, but have yet to see it. This is what Jesus says in verse 12. Truly, truly, which means y'all better listen. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You see, life with God is about participating in what he is doing. He says, if you believe in me, you are joining in on the power and mission of God. If you are doing, if you are following after me and you are my disciples, you will do the work that I do. And so what works are these? The works that Jesus invites us, like young adults, I need you to know this, is a life that is tied to works of redemption and restoration. It's acts of humility and proclamation of the kingdom of God. It's acts of love and sacrifice. It includes miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is in part what Jesus is inviting his disciples to partake in. The expectations for followers of Jesus is that we would live lives of humility, love, and sacrifice, and that the power of the Holy Spirit would be manifested in our lives. Is that true of your life? If it's not, it's time to check yourself. And check if you're actually following after Jesus. In doing so, in following after Jesus, we would join in on the mission of Jesus to participate in the redemption of this world because when humanity knows who God is, they're able to leave their life behind and follow the path to life with God. Jesus knew that when the children of God followed the way of the cross, they would find God. And in doing so, the kingdom of God would be readily established throughout the earth. There's no clear way for me to say this to you. You are part of the redemption of this world. I don't care how old you are. If you're here and you're 18... If you're here and you're 35, if you're a CEO of a company or you work as a mechanic, I don't care what degree you're getting in, none of that matters. What Jesus has invited you into is to literally transform this world by following after Jesus. And you may have heard it said this before, that Christians can be so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. You heard that before? The opposite is true. Sometimes you can be so earthly minded that you're of no heavenly good. It's both and. 
Christ has invited us to live a life that is so heavenly minded that all we do is earthly good. That we become so enthralled with the life of Jesus that all we ever bring into the spaces that we go into is redemption and wholeness. And that Jesus continues after saying this, he goes, there's work to be done. And then he says this, that greater works than these will my disciples do because I, Jesus, am going to the Father. And these greater works that Jesus is talking about is not about more spectacular or some more supernatural things. We're never gonna outdo Jesus. He's God. And many theologians take greater works to mean that the church will do more works in terms of quantity, which would make sense. Jesus walked this earth for 33-ish years. The church has been around for 2,000 years. You would think the numbers are a little skewed. But when Jesus, but when Jesus says greater works, I think he means more than just quantity. Jesus says the greater works are contingent on Jesus going to the Father. And how does Jesus do that? By the way of the cross. You see, the cross changes everything because every work that Jesus did prior to the cross did not find complete completion. But it was after the cross where everything changed, where every promise that God had made and established found their yes and amen through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so when he invites us to do greater works, what he is ultimately saying is in light of the cross and my life, death, and resurrection, anything you do in my name will be greater because it finds its completion in me. So let me just reiterate this for you as we finish. Mosaic, you are participating. If you are disciples of Jesus, you are participating in the power of the risen and exalted Lord and the works of God. You are called to facilitate the work of the kingdom of God, bestowing the blessings of God to the nations by the empowering spirit of God. You have been commissioned by God to do the work of God in the world. This is the destination of your salvation. This is what life with Jesus looks like. And we can often get stuck at the beginning part where it says, oh, I got to carry this cross. Everything else sucks after this. No. No. That's a lie from Satan himself. Life with God is more unmanageable than you can think. What I love about this is that Jesus began this conversation with his disciples saying, your hearts are troubled. And it's these same troubled hearts that would go and preach a message of peace and love to the rest of the world. It's only Jesus that can transform that. Because this is what the church ultimately is. It's you and I, people of God, telling people who are broken, afraid, and blind that there is a God who desires relationship with them and is willing and able to restore their whole life. These 12 young men that sat before Jesus, the disciples Jesus spoke to in this passage, had no idea the way that Jesus would lead them to change the whole world. Now, let me ask you this question. If Jesus could change the landscape of an entire world with, not 12 because Judas didn't go, but of 11 young men, how much more so will he do with the 100 that's here? How much more can he do? All he's asking for is to follow the way and the truth and the life that he has set out for us. And what I think we'll find is that instead of being bystanders and watching, we would become participants in the kingdom of God. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to be like those disciples. 
I wanna walk hand in hand with God in such a way that every time I'm with him, all I see him do is transform lives and restore relationships. I wanna see him free people from addictions. I wanna see people forgiving the unforgivable and experiencing a peace that surpasses all understanding. I want to see God do that. Do you? But this only comes by being part of a generation that says, Jesus, I wanna follow you at all costs that I want to live the life that you set out before me. I want to bathe myself in the truth that you have spoken over us. This is what I want. Think about what Christ is calling for disciples to do, to step in spiritual authority and to demonstrate the power of God everywhere they go. My hope for us is that we become so uncomfortable with the idea of living a life that waits for heaven, but instead we begin to dedicate our lives to seeing the kingdom of God manifested on this earth. I hope that the culmination of our lives are more than just coming to church once or twice a week to sing a few songs, listen to Renault preach on Sunday and think that it's all that, there's, that all that there is to life with Jesus because Jesus has more for us than that. Now, before I finish, I'm, I want to talk to the men in the room for a moment. And I don't, ladies, I don't do this because I think men are more important. But there's a reason why the churches in America are filled mainly by women and no men. It's because often we avoid talking and calling them up to more. So let me talk to the men in the room for a second. And don't worry, guys, I'm not going to totally tell you you suck. But I would ask that what I'm about to say, that you take this very seriously. Because of my recent entrance into TikTok, I have started to see some videos by this man named Andrew Tate. Yeah. And it's wild to me how many men are attracted to his message. And to a degree, I understand it. Don't, don't, like, don't cancel me just yet, hold on. I understand what he's trying to do. He's doing what Jordan Peterson's trying to do. You see, the church has made it okay for us men to just come in and out of the church and ask nothing of them. There are times, and I don't mean to make anyone feel bad, there are times when we're, when we're putting things away or we're moving couches, and I've noticed that it's none of the men who do it, it's the women. Not that women cannot, but why is it that we have to beg our men to help out our, like our, our sisters? You see, what Jordan Peterson, what Andrew Tate is telling men is that they were in, they're invited to do something great with their lives. These men tell these young guys that they're, that they're meant to have direction and purpose in this world. Peterson and Tate seek to cultivate the energy and attention that men typically squander. But here's the thing about following men like Tate and Peterson. You'll never achieve anything that you actually want. You'll just be a man who pursues the alpha status and for what? For you to feel like you're more of a man? Jesus, however, the most manly man to ever exist has invited you to participate in works of redemption and restoration. Even if you get alpha status, how long does that last for? But the life that Jesus asks you to come into is one that is sown into eternity. 
It is hard work. And just like Jesus said in Matthew, the way of Jesus is narrow and hard, but it always leads to life. And this means that sometimes, men, we're gonna have to abandon our video games. That if you are not married and you are single here, that sometimes it means abandoning the pursuit of a relationship. And if you're married here, sometimes it means after coming to work and listening to your wife, share her feelings about how hard her day was instead of saying, honey, I've had a long day. Please, can we talk about this tomorrow? There is sacrifice that is meant for us to do as we express the love and goodness of Jesus to this world. Listen, men, you have been called to experience life that pornography and sex and all these things will never give to you. And instead to experience a life that Jesus gives so that you can go and give to the world a life that they are yearning for as well. And you don't have to do it in your own strength. In fact, that's the least manly thing you can do. No one likes to follow someone who pretends they don't need anyone. Go and do it in the strength of Jesus and you'll see that you'll participate in greater things than you could ever imagine. I hope you hear me on that, men, tonight. But to us all, finish with this question. What will you do with your life? What are you gonna do in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s until the moment you see heaven? What are you gonna do? Because there will be a day when our, our days on this earth will end. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And if you're just banking on heaven, I get it. Because when I think of heaven, I often get scared because I think that whatever is here on earth is better than being with Jesus. Or sometimes I get so frustrated with this world, I'm like, God, just take me now. But life is more than just escaping it. It's being with Jesus. And if that's you tonight, I, I'd invite you to ask the Spirit of God to cause your love for Jesus to grow because God is the essence of heaven. If you want heaven, what you really want is Jesus. But I think there are a good number of us in this room tonight who God is asking and calling to boldly step into the way of the cross. Some of us need to abandon the plans that we set for ourselves. Some of us need to walk away from that or this other sin to talk to go away from the things that Jesus died for us to be free from. Jesus is calling for us to deny ourselves and to make much of the name of Jesus. He wants us to know him deeply and for us to grow in intimacy with him. He wants all of us to be part of his plan of redemption on this earth. So let me ask you this, will you step into a greater relationship with God and let yourself be used to do the greater works that he has in store for you? You can answer that now, but you're gonna have to answer at some point. Let's pray. Father, you are, you're so good. I ask that you would allow us to boldly follow after you, to follow the way of the cross, to deny ourselves and to follow you and only you. Allow us to see the emptiness and the deficiencies of the life that we pursue when it's outside of the life you've given to us. God, remind us that we were made for more than heaven. We were made to be with you. And wherever in our lives that we have not given up to be with you, God, take it away. Destroy it, move it. 
And God, if I will, I pray for the men in this room. God, you have so much in store for Mosaic young adult men. Many of them have lived a life or have come from a home where they did not see the goodness and redemption of Jesus, but this can stop with them. You've called them to be redeemers in in their homes, in their jobs, in their relationships. Give them the strength to do so. Give them the wisdom to execute it. And would we all just fall before you and say, Jesus, you're the only way that's worth following. Yours is the only truth worth believing. And yours is the only life worth having. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.